What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Fellow fiends, welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to this 2020. 2020? How are we saying this year? 2020. Welcome to this new decade episode yep. <laughs> of Nightmare on Film Street. I am Kim. I am John. And it's a new year, although it doesn't quite feel like it because I have not slept at all since last year. You have... I keep using that joke. (laughs) There was was a dad at the grocery store yesterday who was like, oh, that's it. I'm not buying any more groceries the rest of the year. Everybody had a good little chuckle. And I'm sure next year he's going to try and get a bigger audience. Um, yeah, so we're actually, at time of recording this, we are halfway through our New Year's Day marathon over on Facebook. We have been streaming Silver Screams since midnight last night, the stroke of midnight for Eastern Time, and we've been going. We have been going. I tapped out after three or four movies. Uh, I made it till 7 a.m. I said something about Dawn. I remember saying something about Dawn, and then I didn't make it till Dawn. <laughs> I saw that in the comments when I woke up. And I, I checked, could not I was like, 7 18, and it was like 7 10, and then I didn't make it the other eight minutes. <laughs> that's insane. And I was like, that's a really cool idea. Seeing the first sun. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we are on film. 15 or 16, I think we're doing almost 20 films. A bunch of you have joined us. Thank you so much. It's been so fun chatting with you guys and watching classic horror. A lot of films I hadn't even seen before. We did fill the the like the dead hours of the night with some lesser known titles. I mean, hey, if you're an early riser, you get to wake up with Spider Baby. That's a weird one. Yeah, that was a weird one. I woke up a few times and I was like, Sid, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I woke up in enough time to see Jack Nicholson in the Little Shop of Horrors. I don't know, 7, yeah, 8 a.m. watch. Proof positive he's always been a crazy dude. Yeah, <laughs> always been insane. He's got that unhinged smile. 
we kicked it off with House on Haunted Hill. Uh, we're currently right now playing another Vincent Price movie at the time of recording. Uh, but we were also we also threw in the two movies that we're going to be talking about today from the silent film era, including Nosferatu and The Cabinet of Dr. Kilgari. Yeah, this is our first time talking silent film on the podcast. I think we've wanted to do it for a while. But we just didn't really have an excuse because it's just like, how are we going to get our... Our 90s loving, 2000 loving audience to yeah. go all the way back to 1920. We're like, holy shit, 2020. Uh, so that's why we birthed this January theme all month long at the podcast and on our website, nofspodcast.com. We are celebrating Silver Screams. So it's a new decade. We're honoring the film of yesteryear. We're going to be talking silent horror and black and white horror, modern and and classic. So it's going to be great. Yeah, it's sort of expanding on the monthly column that our contributor Stephanie Cole has been doing for a while called Silent Screams, focusing specifically on classic horror of yesteryear, not just silent film, but occasionally silent film. Uh, and, you know, your, your favorite Vincent Price movies, anything black and white, just like pitch dark contrast. It's there. Usually very gothic, very haunting, and I am really excited for the month that we have lined up of editorials uh, and just highlights. Like This is going to be a great month for recommendations, and if you've considered yourself the kind of person that has a hard time with black and white horror movies, we are here for you. We get it. It's harder to watch. They're completely different viewing experiences, but I think we've got a lot of great recommendations that even you will like if you're not necessarily into that genre also it's just really cool to watch movies from the 20s in the motherfucking 20s (laughs) there's something really i don't know it feels like we're in a really special place in time that we can kind of exist uh, a century after the birth of cinema and the birth of horror yeah these movies are almost the movies that we're talking about today are almost 100 years old yeah that's so wonderful yeah it's crazy that they still exist. It's awesome that we get to watch them. And they're in the public domain, so technically you own them. They belong to all of us, because it's culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, if you missed out on our Silver Screams marathon, all of the movies that we played this New Year's Day have been in the public domain, so they are on our Facebook page, and you can watch them at facebook.com slash nightmareonfilmstreet. Including Nosferatu and Cabinet of Dr. Kilgari, if you need to watch them before the rest of this episode. Bringing things into the more modern 20s right now. Coming to the theater this week. The, honestly, January 2020 is going to be a great month. There's the so cinema. many movies coming out. Yeah, you usually get one. And everybody likes to, you know, talk about the early part of the year. As, uh... I'm still hibernating. I'm cool with it. Yeah, let's. <laughs> you want me to go from inside to inside? I can do that. I can really, really do that. Most of the theaters have reclining seats now. It's We can do this. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Coming this weekend, we've got The Grudge, directed by Nicholas Pesh, who did Piercing and Eyes of My Mother, another black and white horror movie. Whoa! Coming full circle. Uh, the Grudge trailer looks spooky. I'm into it. Her creepy wet hair, it, it looks cre- How does it look creepier than the wet hair we had previously? I do not understand. <laughs> I don't know too much about The Grudge franchise, so I'm going into this one fairly blind, and I'm really excited for it. Can't wait. Uh, We've also got Underwater just around the corner next week, and then two weeks after that, The Turning, which, I mean, hey, gothic horror. It's welcome any time of the year. We'll be recording a Patreon-exclusive bonus episode of The Grudge, our Drive Home from the Drive-In review that'll be hitting patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street at some point this weekend, and I will also be, or one of us will be, writing a review for the website, so expect that sometime Friday, hopefully, at nofspodcast.com. 
And speaking of Patreon, of course, I want to give a quick shout out to our most recent patrons, our supporters. First ones of 2020. First ones of 2020. 2020? I still don't know. We're saying 2020. We've been saying 2019, 2018, 2017. Have we? I now I don't even know that. <laughs> I think we're going to stick with 2020. It's going to be here for a little it's while. It's here. The 20. It makes it sound like the future. They're like, we're here in 2024. Oh, that does sound. Yeah. <laughs> we have to say the year like um, one of those clocks that... That's got square numbers. Wake up, Carl. It is 8.43 a.m. You have missed your bus. <laughs> Carl, you're late for work. It's the year 2036. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to give a quick shout out to our most recent patrons. So, you know, in true silent film fashion, let's throw up that title card. Did you all see your names? Oh, right, it's audio. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, let me read that out for you. I just want to give a quick shout out to Alex, Taylor, Mallory, Michelle, Kimball, Adam, and Katharina. Thank you all so much. Wear your flapper dresses. String up those long pearls. Everybody get your ankles out. It's going to get <laughs> wild this decade. Woo! No one's going to stop us. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Ankles out is great. It's the sequel to Knives Out. <laughs> It's the prequel to Knives Out, really. Ankles out. Ankles out. <laughs> but without further ado, let's get into the silent scares of this week's episode that we are calling Coffins and Cabinets. And let's kick it off with 1922's Nosferatu. Nosferatu or Nosferatu? I don't know. Depends who you ask. If you ask Joe Hill, it's a zero. Son of a bitch. <laughs> From 1922, F.W. Murnau, I don't know how it's pronounced, but sure. His famous film, Nosferatu, is currently sitting at a 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb, 4 out of 4 from Roger Ebert, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 3.9 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Guys, I don't know if we brought this up in the intro because that's in the future, but... It's the 20s. <laughs> the roaring 20s are back. We're in the 20s talking about the 20s. Gin is cheaper than it's ever been. Vampires are plentiful <laughs> with funny ears. Funny copyright infringing ears. Confetti was just invented and no one's sick of it yet. <laughs> yeah, it's the 20s. That's so cool. You start dressing like a flapper? I, I've already started. Okay, just lots of beads, frilly stuff, knees out while you're dancing. <laughs> knees out. That's how I fringe, dance. Fringe, lots of fringe. <laughs> yeah. And a feather, a single feather. Oh, but like a hella long feather. Yeah, like an antennae. So we're talking about Nosferatu. Chances are you've heard of this movie. You've seen his great works on SpongeBob, SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> That's right, flicking light switches and shit. But have you actually seen it? If you haven't, it's on YouTube for free. It's in the public domain. Check it out. In fact, this movie isn't supposed to exist. That's yeah, my favorite part about it. That is my favorite part about it. This movie is a, I can't even say loose adaptation other than the name and character uh, I design believe, of I believe Dracula. The, no, no, no. The, the phrasing on the poster and in the movie is uh, is freely adapting 
Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, it's a very free-wielding oh, yeah. adaptation. Uh, the plot is similar enough to Dracula. It's got all those main beats. We don't have Sir Van Helsing. But Count Orlok is both very much like Dracula and not like Dracula at all, which is really cool. But yeah, the estate of Bram Stoker was like, um, nope. And the court was like, they're right. And they ordered all of the copies to be like deleted. Yeah, deleted. deleted. (laughs) Burnt at the funeral pyre. (laughs) P-Y-R-E. Yeah. Um... From what I understand, uh, in an article that was published on Blumhouse a few years ago, somebody sent her, the the widow of Bram Stoker, a poster. And I don't know if it was like a brag or a dig or or, or what, but they uh, somebody involved, probably the director, sent her a poster and that was what started everything. Wow. And I don't I don't know why it still exists. I from not exactly sure who in particular kept copies of this film. I like to imagine it was like theater owners who had copies of it in their own possession. They're like, mm, yeah, I'm not deleting this. Deleting? Why did you? <laughs> oh, man. I think the craziest thing about this story, though, is that, okay, so we're we're flashing back 100 years, 98 years to 1922 when yep. Nosferatu is out. It is based off of a novel from like 1879. So it's only a novel that's like 40 years old. That is blowing my brain. Yeah. It blows my brain. <laughs> that that's like when the that 70s show came out in the 90s for the show for is it what? I know I've brought this up before, but I'm just like I don't how we should have like a that's so 90s show or whatever. I, and when we when we did um House of Wax and they were doing a period thing and they were doing it in like the 50s, I was just like this is blowing my mind. <laughs> it, well, it's also it's probably like us because doing the 90s. It's also probably because when you think of Frankenstein, that's a 200-year-old property. Yeah. Like, that's hella old. So you you think, because Frankenstein, Dracula, they're all, they're buds, right? You, at least I do, I'm not going to speak for you, think of Dracula as being as old a story. Bram Stoker's Dracula is hella old, bro. Uh, He, yeah, in my head, not quantifying it with this new millennia. um, (laughs) It's just a decade. I don't know why I'm making it such a big deal. (laughs) I've done 30 of these. No, I've done three. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Decades? Yeah. I'm just an idiot. (laughs) Um, But I I just think that it's really interesting when you get to, like, have something to stamp it in time. Like, okay, 100 years ago, Dracula was only 40 years old. Like, Dracula wasn't even a cougar yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, people were still very familiar with Dracula. The books had not gotten dusted. There was maybe only a second edition printing. But it's basically, the like, the equivalency of, like, a Stephen King adaptation for them. That's so true. Yeah. Oh, that bestseller is finally getting adapted. Oh, I can't believe they finally made the... Bram Stoker thriller. Uh, and, and by all accounts, a, a technical achievement of its time. Uh, especially in regards to the stop motion animation uh, of his his tombstones, his his coffins, his coffins. Oh, themselves. and doors and stuff opening yeah. and closing. <laughs> I mean, doors are easy to accomplish. The the coffins, that's some impressive shit. They did a good job. And fucking Orlock when he comes up in the boat when he's like whoop 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 and he and he stands up, 
looks amazing. My favorite is when he is uh, loading coffins himself onto oh a carriage. Oh my god, yes. And then he gets into one and the coffin levitates up on top of the his. lid. And, yeah. then it, and then the carriage just directs itself to the port where it, I assume. Why did he even need a ship crew? <laughs> I have no idea. Why? Yeah, why? Uh, yeah. He needed somebody to eat. The actual visual effects in Nosferatu surprise me every single time I see them. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because I don't watch enough, like, really classic horror films. Like, I think the farthest I generally go back in my watching is probably Dracula, 1931. So I'm not mm. watching a lot of silent film. And the the great thing about silent film is it's got this cool marriage between theater and the, the cinema we know and love now. Yeah. That doesn't quite exist today because there's, especially with like the German expressionism films because of all the skewed angles and like Picasso-iness of them. But there is a lot of staging that you see typical to stage plays. Mm -hmm. And they're playing to the back of the house still. Yeah. And it just makes everything look so hyper stylized, like and especially when you're looking at the women of the 30s, like with the the long, thin eyebrows and the little black Cupid bow lips. And they're so caricature-y. And I just fucking love it. Yeah, it, it reminds you how good your brain is at just deducing facial expressions. Because one of the things I love about silent film is that it, uh, like there, there is always music. You are never just plunged into absolute silence. Mm -hmm. There, there is accompaniment, but for the most part, the dialogue cards that you're seeing are not the entire conversation. It's just like the key parts that you would need. It's almost like a TLDR of what just happened. Mm -hmm. But the facial expressions, you you can actually watch the majority of a conversation and get everything. Uh, without getting any of the details. And that's because they're so expressive in these movies. Because, yeah, it's like a play. And, they're you know, whether or not you can hear them, they still, you still need to be able to pick up on the information from what you can see. Yeah. And your brain is so good at that. Your brain totally understands what's happening. When people are being given bad news or they're elated about something, you are with them on that journey. And... More than just going to a movie theater now, silent film, regardless of where you watch it, takes you in immediately because you have to pay attention to it. And that's, I guess what I'm saying, I really appreciate it watching silent film. It's been a long time. And I, I, I love how much uh, your, your brain and your eyes are a detective for things. Yeah, and it's both similar and very different from when we watch foreign films because with foreign films, we watch them with captions. So you are stealing time from one or the other. Like you're understanding what everybody's saying oh. or you're not getting all of the visual cues from the actors. Yeah. Whereas with silent film, you get to do both. Yeah. And there's something to be said about the fact that the dialogue cards come after the scene. Mm. So you get to see everything play out and it's like you, you, you're brought into the the written portion of the text with all of the emotion from the scene acted out. So like, you know, the wife is distraught that Hutter, is it Hutter? Or Huter? I'm not sure. Huter sounds more like a German name. But you can tell that, that she's very distraught by her body language and how she's acting and him running around and packing his suitcase. You know <laughs> where they're coming from in each of the scenes. It's almost like a silent 
film's version of emojis like it's oh, giving yeah. us you know how when we when we send texts and stuff now we we filter them uh with a lot of that emotion like because you're like oh is this going to be taken the wrong way even with emails like i end emails with smileys how unprofessional that is because you're trying Whatever. to force like a connotation to the words you've written yeah nobody's laughing out loud it's just to show that there's some sarcasm or cheekiness to what you're saying yeah and silent film basically executed being able to condense emotion and context of a film down to a couple sentences which that is kind of crazy a really good point but you're so fucking right like because you know how everybody's feeling before you get context for why they're feeling that way it's such a cool way to watch movies and i mean just coming back to what you were talking about uh, in terms of special effects orlock count orlock looks amazing oh my god amazing so good and the thing too is that like all these movies these really classic horror films have been restored so they're all in like pristine condition yeah apparently we watched a 4k restoration but fucking like i saw orlock's eyebrow up close and it's just his fingers and shit too right the hands and oh the hands are so good max shrek the actor playing count orlock it comes from german theater so there's a pretty good chance he did his own makeup that's just how it was. You did your own makeup in theater. That's so cool. And that see, that comes too from an understanding of like silhouettes and how things are going to play because even the sets in Orlok's castle, mansion, whatever, are designed for what his character looks like. When he yeah. stands in a doorway and it is only an inch taller than his head yeah. and it's got like a pointy peak, he looks amazing in every location he stands in. The contrast of his white pointed claws and his black squared off cloak and he's standing in like a column and you're just like oh are you talking specifically about that one moment when hutter shows up yeah (laughs) no no no, sorry there there, there is a a moment later on it's maybe the first night maybe a second night in where hutter is in his room and either the door opens by itself i think the door opens either by itself or, or hutter opens it just to see what's going on outside and you can see count orlock like down the hallway just, just fucking standing, standing there. there. Oh my god, I forgot about that. That was on. Like, we've seen this movie before. Ugh. That was one of the most unsettling things I've seen all year. It, it gave me my theory for how I think Count Orlock, or like my fan theory on Count Orlock. Yeah, that's fine. That when he's wearing his hat turban thing. Oh yeah. He's a man. Ah yes. And when when you see him bald, he is the vampire Orlock. He is the Count. Yeah. Um, because whenever you see him at his most devious, he's bald head and yeah. the pointed ears and you see like the bat-like form. Whereas when he's wearing the like the hat. It's he, a disguise. He's doing business stuff. Like yeah. he's doing more human type things. And when we see him brooding in the corner, he looks like he's not human. Yeah. Oh, man. So Like Orlok never so really good. looks human, but like he really looks like he has no human qualities behind his eyes. Well, he's carrying around coffins full of dirt. That's some heavy shit. He's he's lifting that like it's no problem. I love how fast Orlok just like fucks off in this. Yeah, he really as does. As soon as he catches wind of Hutter's pretty girlfriend and the property deeds are all signed and good, there's no brides that hold Hutter back. There's none of that. Like, Well, they... there's the mosquitoes. <laughs> You, you that's how he got those two identical marks. Yes. Those peculiar mosquitoes. <laughs> Better tell my wife in three months. <laughs> right? Oh, uh, man. But then he just leaves. Like, he, he packs up his coffins and he's out of there. And so yeah. Hutter begins his really long journey of chasing <laughs> after him. Which, 
this movie does dedicate a lot of time to boat travel. Like there are, I think there's I two. Think, I think life just had to dedicate a lot of time to boat travel. There's like two acts where they're on the, the boats. <laughs> yeah. Did he, tra- we didn't see him travel by boat, right? I just assumed it was also by boat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. My, my, one of my absolute favorites because Hutter, I'm huter. I'm not sure. Uh, his expression his emoting in this movie is so good. He is so carefree and just like really excited about things. You know who I pictured? Uh, Kenneth Branagh as Gilderoy Lockhart <laughs> in Harry Potter. You are, the you are whole too right. Time. You are so right. That is, oh, if, if they, re, well, they're remaking this. We know that for a fact. But, right? But, oh man, he should really play him. Because uh, yeah, there's that scene where he's, he's, he's exclaiming that he's going off to Transylvania and, and, and um, Ellen is very upset about it, and she she does had not have a good feeling. But he's her <laughs> acting here. Oh, yes. it breaks my heart because she's just like moo at the window, and he's just yeah. like throwing suitcases yeah, around he's, in he's, the background. He's running around like Kermit with his hands in the air, just flailing and stuff. <laughs> but my my absolute favorite is when we um, we are at the cabin before he's making his trek up to Orlock's castle, uh, and he's he's got to wait out the night. Is is the idea because uh, there's werewolves about yeah, uh, and like a hyena? Yeah, we just see a hyena. Yeah, no, but like, and, and, and I do love in this movie how we have uh, there's multiple ways that our information is given to us. Like uh, we, we see the books people are reading. We are actually looking at the letters people are writing. And in this one, we have a book about Nosferatu, about the vampires and how they come out. And it, essentially, we're giving the rules of the vampire. And when we cut back to Huter, he goes, ha, ha, ha. Like, it's <laughs> the funniest thing that he's ever seen in his life. <laughs> oh, boy. And it's, it's so great because, like, we're reading the horrors and we're being scared. But, like, this guy is really not buying it. And to his detriment. The effects when Orlok first shows up are pretty great, though. The uh, the phantom carriage. Oh, yeah. When he picks him up and it's basically just like a carriage on fast forward running through the woods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's one part where it kind of goes off the road a little bit. Like, they, they catch themselves. <laughs> and, oh, it's great. You definitely back then, one take. The first take was the best take. Like, unless something absolutely went wrong. They do do a ton of little tricks, though, with the camera, because there are, there's quite a few moments where uh, Orlock will back out of a room and then, not seamlessly, obviously, by today's standards, but for back then would have been pretty fucking amazing, Mm -hmm. where just the door is black at the end, like, and he's not there at all. Yeah. And I mean, by the restoration standards, you can kind of see the cut, but like, there are some moments where there's some, like, we filmed an empty room and then we filmed something on top of it and Mm -hmm. we do a little cut here and it looks crazy cool. Yeah, it's nuts. I can't get over how much Orlock just carries his own coffins around, especially when he shows up to town. Because, like, the boats, everybody in the boat's been killed. There's some fear of a plague, so nobody wants to go near the boat. Because he brings rats with him. Yeah, well, yeah, they, they break open one of those coffins. It's full of rats. But um, he just kind of carries those coffins from the boat to his abandoned house. To his new house with and its own fucking moat. No one notices. Yeah. No one sees. It's great. I reread an article that one of our contributors, Heather Powderly, wrote uh, in 2018, actually, about Nosferatu. And it's a great read. You should check it out at nofspodcast.com. Just search for Nosferatu. Uh, and <laughs> I remember editing it. I hadn't seen the movie in a while. I rewatched it afterward. But, like, bolded italicized underlined like carries his fucking coffins no one notices (laughs) oh i died laughing reading it 
Oh, man. The cool thing about Orlok is that he's got kind of a different motive when he gets to the Americas. And Is it the Americas? Do you think? I, I assume it's the I Americas. I have no idea. I, or England. <laughs> I, just assumed, I just assumed we went from Germany to Transylvania, which I didn't think needed a boat ride, but I guess yeah, you got a point. Wherever he ends up. Yep. Because um, he got to go across the new Carpathian world sea. or whatever. Is that he's basically starts drinking the whole town, mm. but... Orlok doesn't make new vampires. No. He is just killing people. And so he comes like the plague. It, and he which is, is so fucking the plague. Cool. And that's What if the plague never existed? Well, and that's the thing too, is that that's that's the lore that vampires were birthed out of. Yep. Because these diseases would come in the night and take your family members and it, like different houses would be affected and people would get sick and they would they would come ill and they'd get weak and then they'd get weaker and weaker and they'd finally die. And people were very religious during this time because obviously like medicine wasn't caught up to the diseases that were rampant and so like the, these crazy lores were born in these fictional stories about like monsters coming in the night and yeah vampires if you think about them like they are the plague yeah and it was something about like a bacteria as well that would lay dormant and could survive for a very long time so like you would get sick weeks or months later and it would be the exact same thing and the idea would be that like in salem's lot your family member was coming back from the grave to kill and drink your blood just fucking nuts because like yeah like families would would slowly get infected over months and years until the whole family was gone yeah i mean like yeah, until we understand things we will always have myth and it's it's how we are able to tell each other such great stories and you know now that we live in an age of science and everything is inexplicable an age of si- science all we have left are superheroes this is why <laughs> we don't have original stories we need myths guys we need tragedy no i'm kidding um we need unexplainable things, and we, we just need ways to rationalize them. And I, I love that about human beings. I think that's so great, and I think that's why the stories that have persisted for so long, like Frankenstein and Dracula, are born out of an, a need to understand the world around us. And in some way, they still do. Like, I, I have watched and, re- and read versions of Frankenstein so many times, and every single time, I'd fe- I feel like I learn more about the human experience, but the story's never changed. And it's it, oh, because it's because they're timeless. They're the reason why yeah. they're like um the pedestal horrors because they're so perfect for every human experience that even though we have computers in our pocket today and insulin, <laughs> <laughs> we still understand the most classic body horror. Now, what do you what do you think about the rules to kill Orlok? Like, you think it's just like, oh, if he if he's if he's getting some of that good blood, he's gonna lose track of time. <laughs> if he drinks after dawn, then he's fucked. Yeah, uh, I think it's fun. Oh, I like it you too. Have to, but it's, you yeah. have to make a simplified rule that's gonna carry through a silent film. So they needed something that could be demonstrated visually, and the the clucking of a rooster at dawn and and the clock tower is like. That's as on the nose as you can get. Yeah, and the sun coming up. Mm -hmm. Which... And I also fucking like that Ellen saves the day. Yeah, she fucking rules. Yeah, and because especially for how she started the movie and making her such like a a sad little wallflower. Yeah, because she's just like lost her bow. Oh no, what will I do? And she was so sad at the lake waiting for the letter and then he was like, I got bit my mosquitoes. And she was (laughs) like, oh, Hutter, I miss you so. The fact that she 
is his undoing. I mean, she also maybe dies, but she did it. She didn't need the help of anybody. She does it secretly and she just like lets it happen and she saves the day because she's a fucking champ. And Hutter (laughs) is too busy being Kenneth Branagh. (laughs) That's such a good description. You know, I think it's worth saying, especially given that we're talking about the sun coming up, one thing that it was kind of hard occasionally was, and it, you know, like it's it's silent film. The cameras are not incredibly strong. We need a light source in order to capture these pictures. Was trying to figure out what scenes took place during the day and which took place at night. Anytime you saw Orlock, it was supposed to be nighttime, despite oh, yeah. how bright it sometimes <laughs> yeah, yeah. was. It's, it's just exterior shots. Like inside, you could fake it a lot. Like, oh, we got candles. No big deal. Yeah. Like you have candles at night. There were so many scenes where it's just like, it looks like he's walking around in broad daylight. And you know the thing It probably that, was. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's supposed to be nighttime. Uh, the thing that fucks you up the most is uh, is Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Because they're like, oh yeah, Dracula, you know, you know, against common belief, can walk around during the day. He could? Oh yeah. Oh. That's where he meets Mina. He meets her at like the market Oh, you're stuff. right. And he's like, I have crossed oceans of time for you. Uh, yeah, right. And I wear sunglasses because it's very bright. <laughs> Here, step inside my top hat and I'll feed you some absinthe. Let's go in the city, brother. Oh, yeah, we're just like, <laughs> and he wants to eat her, but I can't. <laughs> oh, man. Gary uh, Oldman. One thing I really liked watching Nosferatu this time around is we're a lot more familiar with Salem's Lot now. Oh, sure. And it made Nosferatu a funner watch for me because I, I know that the character design of Barlow leaned really heavily on Orlock. There aren't a lot of vampires that have that bat-like look. Yeah. With, like, the long pointed ears and the bald head. But the story of Salem's Lot seems so much more Nosferatu now that I'm comparing both of them. Okay. Nosferatu is, yes, it is a kind of like a bastardized Dracula, but... The coming of the plague kind of thing and like the nightly murders of people in the town and how he is still interested in Ellen, but he's more just there to like feast and party and and ravage this area. Yeah. Felt very similar with Salem's Lot. So that's a good point. uh, I don't know if I, I knew enough about or I was familiar enough with Nosferatu to draw those connections when we were watching Salem's Lot. That's cool. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing, like, because, yeah, they, they move into town in Salem's Lot, and then they slowly just kind of, like, take over. That is something that I, I continually forget about the Dracula story. Nobody comes knocking on his door to ask him to move to London, right? He approaches a real estate agent because he wants to buy property. Mm-hmm. He's already... Thinking he's, of moving. He's already coming. And then, like, oh, my reincarnated girl is there? Yeah, all the better. <laughs> really rolled the dice on this one. It paid out. Now, hard question for you. How you rate Nosferatu? How do you rate this movie? Yeah. I don't know how to rate it. Because like any other scale that we've used has been based on modern filmmaking. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a four out of four or something like that, or like a three and a half out of four or three out of four even, feels like, like lip service. Like all those times where we're like, oh yeah, but is it on Rotten Tomatoes when it was released kind of thing? Like anything that's really old gets that like retrospective rating where you just appreciate something that's really good and it it is a marvel of filmmaking and it's wonderful for its time of its time but it's actually like really great creature design for today yeah that's the thing like he (laughs) still looks good it still has scares that play really well like the only weaknesses that it had were weaknesses of the day Mm -hmm. it still has a great story a great presentation it's just it's all done in 
19, like early 1920s filmmaking where this was still a new medium. Yeah, like the adaptation is even still fresh. Like if I saw a version of Dracula that was just Nosferatu today, mm. I'd be like, these were some good decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like the, the, the only thing that doesn't really play well with me in the movie is their bastardized version of the Renfield character. Because he just he's just kind of random. Yeah, because like he's just they could have cut him entirely. They could have, but I think they just liked the idea of him having power over a human being, and just he like, never meets him though. Like no, it's just he like, never meets him. <laughs> it's just like it's like a harbinger, or just like somebody who's waving a flag for Nosferatu to come into town. But yeah, he doesn't play into the story at all. Mm-mm. He climbs the prison walls pretty efficiently. Yeah, eats bugs. Yeah. I'm about it. I like Renfield characters. <laughs> I, I don't. I love Renfield I know characters. you do. <laughs> I am all about them. <laughs> I'm more of a Mina character. Yeah, she's great. She's integral to the story. But where are your character actors? Give me your Tom Waits's. Your, oh, I lost his name. That guy, <laughs> <laughs> that guy from 30 Days a Night who's great in everything he's in. He's so good. He says teeth are so gross. Okay, so what's your rating? I don't know. Can we just say that it's super good and important and you should watch it? It's 1920s out of four. <laughs> 1922 out of four. I'm going to give it a three and a half out of four. I'm going three and a half yeah. out of four also. Sorry, Renfield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's super great. It, it's it's amazing. Where would we be without it? What blows my mind is like, you know, you'll say all the time, I can't imagine a world without a movie like this. We almost live in a world without this movie. I think it's even better, though, that that they were like, destroy all the copies, and they were like, we will. And yeah, they had, like, yeah. their fingers crossed behind their back, like the um, the three baddies in Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> yeah, of course. And they, like, threw them down to Oogie Boogie, but they kept, set, like, they kept a few of them, let's be real. <laughs> yeah, and, well, hey, and here's the other thing, too, that we, we don't necessarily think about when we're talking about movies like Nosferatu and The Cabinet of Dr. Kilgari, is that... We're we're super lucky they exist for those reasons, but also because somebody hid copies from the Nazis. The Nazis destroyed so much art, so many films, so many paintings, books that just don't exist anymore. We have records of people who have seen them and remember them and can essentially give us a synopsis and who worked on them, but that is it. And there, there are actually some really cool artists that do. I'm sorry, I'm taking us on a bit of a left turn here, but there are there are some cool artists that uh, have taken films, uh, usually like artistic surrealist films. There's one I remember called Ghosts for Breakfast. Uh, it's really strange, but we only have a video portion. The audio is completely destroyed. Nazis destroyed it. Like the accompaniment. Uh, sound effects, music, does not exist. So lots of artists have redone their own version of the music for it, including people like uh, like Ergophismus and people like us, if you like really weird experimental uh, music sound collage artists. <laughs> uh, I'm getting into strange territory. But the, the simple fact is, there was a great filter at <laughs> a court system, and there was a great filter that you know destroyed not just art and film, but also a lot of, like, a generation of people. And it is... Amazing that we still have movies like this, and uh, you should see them if you haven't. This has been John's Corner. I'm sorry, I lost. <laughs> <laughs> I realized like how preachy it kind of became, but uh... I'm gonna make a sound bite for whenever oh, you go on a tangent. No. Well, here's the problem: like, John's Corner. We listen to John. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> that's not bad. <laughs> you know what I should do when I when I know that I'm going on one of these tangents is close my eyes. Because what you got to remember is I'm having a conversation with you out there right now, but also Kim here with me. <laughs> and I have to stare into her eyes and I can see her go, uh-huh. I just like so, blink and smile <laughs> yeah, and no, think of all the editing I have to you're, do. <laughs> you're you're incredibly polite, but it does it does slow. It's like all know, of a sudden I'm no in thick water. There's no space for me to reply to you. <laughs> so like, I can't reply even if I want to. You're like, "Oh yes, I've I've heard of these Nazis before. That's about it." Ah, like, uh, yes, Nazis. Terrible. I had ghosts for <laughs> breakfast myself this morning. <laughs> Ghostios. <laughs> Well, that's what you do when you're on a fast. You know, you just you just eat ghosts for breakfast. Think of how many good puns I could have come up about ghosts for breakfast. We're doing it right now. Never gave me that chance. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Do you want to talk about Cabinet of Dr. Calgary? I think we should. Is it Caligari or Calgary? I think it's Caligari. I always say Calgary. I know there's an I in there, but like another I. An I before the G. Wait, Cali? Yeah. It's that Canadian accent. Caligari. Oh, like Calgary. Oh, no. From 1920, Robert Wine's Cabinet of Dr. Kilgari is currently sitting at an 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, 4 out of 4 from Roger Ebert, and 4 out of 5 on Letterboxd. I'm going to be like full spoilers ahead. Uh Uh-huh. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's pretty amazing, right? It's pretty wonderful. God damn, is it good. Um, The level of whimsy in the set design and the the character makeup is enough that even if the story wasn't good and and the the whole point of the film wasn't good I would still love it like there's absolutely not a moment where I don't want to have like my eyes burning into the screen yeah isn't it isn't it great when a movie can make you upset that you have to blink I just want to absorb it all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, no, like watching you watch this movie is great because you you also come from a very artistic background visually. Oh, thank you. Uh, so, like, you are pointing at things to me that I'm not necessarily noticing. And, and when we watch these movies, too, I try not to talk to you at all because I like to log thoughts that I have to talk about them on the podcast. So, obviously, we, we're talking about them fresh here. 
but I found myself unable to not point things out. I'm like, Whoa. look, look at her, look. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm glad you pointed out some things. Like, I definitely did not necessarily think about the lighting being painted on the oh floor. Oh my god, that's one of the things that this film, like, I know we, we kind of touched on the the blending of stage and screen with the films of the 1920s, and this this film exemplifies it more than any other film I have ever seen because of how exaggerated everything is. This movie exists in a Van Gogh painting, so much so that you aren't actually sure of the proportions of the room that you're staring at yes like there's a lot of forced perspective but because it is that van gogh style where what we've done is we've basically taken a photographic image Mm. and we've simplified it down to shapes and lines and what they have done is they've then taken that thing that's simplified down to shapes and lines and they've stretched it for depth like an accordion so they're pulling it apart you know like almost like string cheese yeah and so we're looking at a bunch of shapes and lines with depth that are recreating like an accountant's office, a law office, a, a fair, a cobblestone street. And you can, if you squint, you can see a cobblestone street. Totally. But you're really only staring at like a gray skewed bunch of boxes with some circles drawn on the ground. And it looks like a fucking cobblestone street. It's so It's weird. amazing. It's incredible. You know those um those art installations that you see sometimes when you're like scrolling through Facebook where it's like, oh, it's a ladder. And then the person who's physically filming it like walks around and you realize that it's just a bunch of different weirdly shaped things that are just staged in a room like with a bunch of depth that only look like a ladder when you're standing in one, in one specific spot. Yeah. That's literally what the fragmentation of... The cabinet of Dr. Calgary looks like. Yeah. And so the the lighting that you would see, like sunlight coming through a window or a lamp that's lighting the streets, is actually painted in on white, the in ground. a highlight. Oh. Yeah. And you can see it too, even in the character design. Dr. Calgari, he's got white lines on his gloves. Yeah. He almost looks like Mickey Mouse when you're yeah. looking at him, when you're lo- interpreting his character literally. But when you watch him moving his hands, it adds like an extra level of detail when he's moving his fingers because the motion allows you to like blur like what's a highlight and what's a low light. There are streaks painted in his hair to make him look like a crazy doctor who's got the like the, the graying streaks on the top of his head. But that's done in makeup. It's so great. Now, you're uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Nosferatu. It's very easy to get. It's a Dracula story. You've seen Dracula stories before. If you haven't seen The Cabinet of Dr. Fugari or you're just unfamiliar with it, it is essentially a recounting of a story this man is telling to somebody on a park bench uh, about a troubling time that he and his fiance went through recently, uh, focusing specifically on And she walks by like a ghost. <laughs> yeah, she sure does. <laughs> And uh, that is my wife. Like, oh. That's my fiance. We've had a rough patch. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on with this girl? She's just like, la 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 la, sad, but um, just troubled. Uh, focusing specifically on a carnival attraction that's come to town called the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, where Dr. Caligari has a man who's been sleeping for 20 or 30 years that can answer questions about your future that maybe you don't want answered that then lead to some mysterious murders in town and the rest of it's about trying to figure out who is uh, committing these murders and whether or not dr caligari has anything to do with it Mm -hmm. 
the entire movie you could literally put every single set inside like a tennis court because <laughs> yeah. there's the sets are so claustrophobic but because they do such a great job staging them i feel like we've seen the whole fair yes there's like umbrellas that are pretending to be carousels and like it's it's wonderful the entire movie made me jealous that none of us decided to speak up uh, in high school and say like do... why are we doing this as a play we could do it it'd be so easy it's just black and white and lines and like I, oh man like i wish we had a time machine i could go back and like really push for it anyway it doesn't really matter but like like think about that school that did alien recently like they need to do the cabinet of dr caligari oh so cool and it's silent like you could do something real cool with a silent film on stage just in how you're going to present the the language maybe you just have a screen behind you that occasionally the words come up on like that's the easiest solution but rather than trying to deconstruct how we would do it let's (laughs) let's just talk about the movie do you remember the first time you saw images from this movie no okay um I do, I guess. So I'll get into that. Um, yeah, no, th- this movie haunted me for a few years because I didn't know what it was. And it was just used in another movie where it's like, oh, a character's doing heroin and watching the Dr. Kevin and Dr. Caligari because they wouldn't have had to pay for it. It's just, it's free use. It's like, mm. it's like every horror movie has Night of the Living Dead in it because who do you got to pay for that, right? Um, I, it was just the scene where Cesar is coming in um to jane's room and he's brandishing oh. the knife yeah it's fucking incredible when he right? comes in the window oh. yeah and how he just how he just breaks the windows apart yeah uh, and then there's there's literally a cut there so after he breaks the window there's before he breaks the window there's a cut after he breaks the window there's a cut so his foot is already inside the window and they just did it i think to to make him look more sleek but there's something that doesn't connect quite with your brain so it's really creepy when you don't see him step in the window it's it's so funny you say that because i'm i'm sure the audience that originally saw this in 1920 didn't have that same experience i think what it is is it is a recreation like there are missing frames that are just destroyed that you can't see There was a disclaimer at the beginning of the movie talking about the restoration process and how there are some scenes that, you know, obviously don't look nearly as good. And there are some jump cuts, but they've done their best to edit them. So I think it's just that, you know, the movie is 100 years old and we don't have a pristine copy of it. Mm -hmm. And it's making it better by not having those connective bits where Mm. we see him step through the window. I could be wrong. Maybe that's how it was edited. And if it was, I would not be surprised. Yeah. And, and good God, is it great. Oh, and the, like the staging, that whole scene is amazing. I mean, if we want to stay on just that one scene for a minute, when he destroys the window so he can come in was like the most mind shattering part of it to me because the window looks like a general window, but the way he breaks it, it's like a matchstick house. Good God, is it amazing. And so I saw that in a movie and I never knew what it was from. And I uh, kind of, I honestly, I thought, it was a Culkin. Like I thought, <laughs> I, I thought it was a Culkin kid, and I was like, "How'd they get this weird art movie that Macaulay Culkin did one time?" And then like the knife came up, and we cut away, and I was like, "I need to know what the fuck that was." And then just you know, by happenstance, like a few years later, Halloween, this was on, and I became obsessed with it, and it was uh, yeah, that was the first time I'd seen it from beginning to end. Was on Halloween night. Uh, was it Halloween? We watched it. We yeah, we watched it years and years ago. It was on, on TCM. Yeah. yeah, and it was just like it was such like two great, in the morning too. Such great quality, and it just we were just stuck to it. Yeah, I don't even know if we'd intended to watch it, but we were just like flipped, and it was started. It had and we just were like, started. Yes, this will happen. <laughs> this this is gonna happen. Uh, if you want to explore more uh, silent films, Turner Classic Movies still does Silent Sundays. 
They are usually on a little later at night. Uh, but Turner yeah. Classic Movies has a great genre film lineup, by the way. John, you want to oh, like give them the weekend lineup that we've been on? Yeah, okay. So at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, on Friday nights, you can watch Turner Classic Movies Underground, which is kind of just like for weirdos and <laughs> it's John Waters like fans. It's genre film. Yeah, yeah, it, it's great. And I mean, it's, you have to stay up till 2, but it's yeah, worth it. Yeah, at least in our time zone. And then I'm I'm a big noir alley guy, so Friday nights at midnight, I like watching noir films. And if I fall asleep in the middle of them, I can watch them again on Sunday at 10 a.m. He but... bonded with an old man about that. I don't. What? No. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's on too no, late. No, no, and then no, they no. both, like, share, knocked elbows. <laughs> and we're like, but it's on at 6 a.m., though. <laughs> like, you weirdos up with the birds. You're going to walk around the mall it's after? It's 10 a.m. <laughs> Also, if I only need to watch the second half, it's 11 a.m. I don't need to get up that early. Uh, they're still serving McBreakfast. <laughs> oh, this movie's great. I love every fucking thing about it. Okay, can I talk about another one of my favorite Please. things? Please. This is, st- we're this still is on just going to be a sideshow of stuff we like. It's we're, yeah, we're still on set design. We're never going to get away from it. <sighs> his fucking trailer. How well did they nail his trailer? Oh, like the inside of his trailer. Because he is in like a clown car. The set is so big when he when we're inside it with Dr. Calgari and his cabinet. Yep. It's a full room. And then you realize when they're outside knocking on his door how tiny the trailer actually is. But when they cut back and forth between the scenes, which are done really well for it being 1920, I will add. Yeah. The skewed perspective. So I think I, I, I might not be right on directions, but... When we're in the trailer with Dr. Kilgari, everything is skewed left. But when we're outside and looking at the trailer, the trailer is a slanty shanty skewed right. Oh, shit. Like, the slant is consistent from the outside to the inside. It's (laughs) so great. This is why I love watching movies with you. Even when the door opens. So, like, when the door to the trailer opens and we get to peek inside, you can see the lamp and you can see the armchair in the distance, even though... You can very obviously see that that trailer doesn't go to anywhere. No, it it's only go like that far. a foot deep. Yeah, like you can go inside and close the door, and that's it. But they've they've done a little bit of interior decorating to that one meter square space. When they cut to the inside of the trailer, you can see everything stretched out. Okay, quick question. Yes. What is the cabinet? It's the coffin thing. Is it is it the coffin thing that has Caesar inside, or is it the uh, the cart that he has that is impossibly large on the inside that also houses another mystery inside of it? Or is it the town that is impossible that has the carnival, that has the cart, that has the coffin inside? Or is it maybe, like, I think you see where I'm going with this. It's a Russian doll scenario. Yeah, I was going to say. Because <laughs> that story itself exists in its own little contained universe. Okay. So I'm saying, like, if we keep pulling these pieces apart, I think the cabinet is our own fucking mind. I still think it's the coffin that Cesar is in. I mean, you're probably right. It's probably (laughs) the coffin, because he keeps pointing to it, saying, this is my cabinet, I'm Dr. Caligari. (laughs) You're probably right, but, like, the way we're talking about it now, and, like, I don't necessarily... I don't think I was thinking about this at all while we were watching it, because you just gotta let this fucking movie wash over you. I think we are in, like, a Russian doll scenario. Definitely. Oh, man, this movie's good. This And here's, you know, like, you're talking about how great this movie is to look at, and, you know, like, how, you know, uh, silent film has something to offer that other film doesn't, especially in the experience of it. But, like, how often do you get something, even of this period or modern day, where it's visually this rich, but also the story is as satisfying? Because this 
I don't think I remember the end of this movie. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm almost positive. Either I fell asleep and hit it very well when we first watched it on Turner Classic Movies years ago, or I'd forgotten the final moments of this movie because it's a mind blower. I, I have to say that, like, when I first, even this watch, like, every time I finish it, I'm just like, no, oh, it's over. And then you think about it and you're like, that's really fucked. Particularly when it starts to kind of unravel and we're not quite sure if Caligari is is Dr. Caligari or if he's the head of this this asylum and then there's that scene where he's running outside and we have the lettering on the actual set yes and there's that like manic moment where he's I'm Dr. Caligari I'm Dr. Caligari yeah because he is reading a book about Caligari like uh Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, and yeah you got He's Caligari written everywhere with, yeah. but it's like he has to tell himself that story to reinforce it to believe it for it to become real uh and then he gets locked up because like oh you're a crazy person you were, used to be Mr. Doctor and now you're Caligari you've you've gone off the deep end and people are dead because of you so they lock him up but then later on after Fran Francis has has relayed this whole story to us and we're in the mental institution again where he's you assume he's visiting his fiance all of a sudden a very clean cut prim and proper Mr. Doctor comes down and he starts accusing him of being Dr. Caligari and how no one like everybody thinks that he's cured and he's running the hospital again but it's 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 false and we can't trust him and then Mr. Well, Doctor we see Caesar who's yeah. holding who's holding flowers and is this like lovelorn sort of quiet boy you kind of see that his fiance maybe has like they kind of lock eyes for a minute and there seems to be something between them and not francis and his fiance uh and you know uh, you know obviously he he has this this explosion and he seems very erratic and they put him in a straitjacket, lock him in the same room where dr caligari was uh, you know 20 minutes ago um I would posit the theory that... It's not a theory. It's what happens. Okay. Definitely. You, okay. So he and his friend are in a love triangle, essentially, with Jane. They both love this girl. And, you know, lucky for Francis, the next morning, his friend has been murdered by Caesar. Oh, so uh, we're not on the same... I don't think we're on the same page No, here. I have no idea what you're talking about. No. So... Our lead character is an unreliable narrator <laughs> yeah. who's in a crazy house yes. and has made a story surrounding people that he's just inhabiting that crazy house with. Totally, yeah. I don't think anybody's been murdered. You don't think he ever actually killed his friend? Like, he went off the deep end because he killed his friend and then he's been put... So, okay, okay, here. In the pause, beginning pause, of the movie... Pause, pause, in the pause. Be- no! Oh, in the on. beginning of the movie, when, they, when they're talking in the lawn yeah. outside, and he's like, there goes my wife. He's talking to another patient, maybe a oh, new yeah, totally. patient, and crazy who uh, he thinks his wife is walks by because she's like, I'm the queen of England. Well, that's why she I don't also... think he has relationships with any of these people. I don't think he does either. I think we think the exact same thing. It's a usual suspect scenario, and know. he's making up a story based on people around him, right? Yeah, this is the original usual <laughs> suspects. <laughs> Guys are so sad. <laughs> no, I guess all I was trying to figure out is how he got in the mental institution. By being crazy. I guess he could just be crazy. <laughs> but I figured maybe it had something to do with him killing his friend and going out the deep end. I, I just assumed that part was still real. Okay. But you're right. Fuck, that was a good ending in 1999. People were still going like, oh, can you fucking believe he was crazy the whole time? 
1920, guys. Oh, boy. 1920. And it's so good. And it's just, ugh, like, all of the set design. Like, we still, like, the mental institution is still very weird and industrial and forced perspective and stuff. But, like, it's at that point that you realize, because we are in a story that he is telling, that everything is so exaggerated and weird and Like a nuts. pop-up book. Because it's a fucking pop-up book. It's a story that he's telling. Oh, it's great. So what, what if, what if the only reason it looks like that is because we are now inside the mind of the person of, hearing the story? Of somebody who's got a disjointed brain. Yeah. Yes. Oh, fuck, it's so good. There aren't a lot of movies, modern movies, that look like this. You would think there'd be more. Because of how monumental it, it was, it is for cinema. Yeah. That you'd think that there would be a whole genre of film today that look like The Cabinet of Dr. Calgary. The closest I would say that we have to the level of styling of this film would be Tim Burton. Yeah. The level of fantasy visuals mm -hmm. no other director could you name that goes as as fantastical in like grounding their films does that make sense yeah totally i'm, I'm 100 like, as with a you lens here. which makes this a like a perfect pin in its time and place in cinema because as we evolved to better film quality realism became the ideal yeah and getting things as close to life as possible the 1920s we were still doing plays mm -hmm. and things were exaggerated and bigger than life because because there was distance between the audience and the visual medium so the films of the 1920s didn't necessarily have that goal that we have now with especially like 4k now. and like in the in the 60s like adding color and all of these evolutions we've we've made to making film as close to real life as possible. I mean, this pristine, perfect version of real life. So yeah, yeah. I would say that the films today that are like The Cabinet of Dr. Calgary don't necessarily have that German expressionism look to them, but they're movies like Pleasantville mm. or um, that director who does those drug trippy movies where they're like cartoons, but they're actors. Oh, you're... Talking about Richard Linklater is like Scanner Darkly. Exactly. Okay, sure. Stuff like that. And Tim Burton. I was even, actually going to bring was... Scanner Darkly up. I'm so glad um, you did. People who play Wake with with real to life stories, but they choose like a visual left turn for the sake of art. Yeah. Or or doing something that isn't pristine. Like a heightened reality. Yeah, like David Lynch's Eraserhead. Or sure. Creating a hard stop visually just to be an artist. I, 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 yeah, like the new Twin Peaks stuff for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like, and I, we're recording this in December, so I apologize if I've already talked about this a bunch in a mini episode or something, but <laughs> to keep it short, that is the strength of silent film uh, and black and white film in, in general, really, is that it is already unlike reality. When you go see a movie, you know you're not looking at real life, but like movies nowadays especially will make you want to feel as though you are immersed in the real world. Black and white film is, is unlike life. There is nowhere you can look where it looks like a black and white film. So you already accept it as something that is not reality. And it can do strange things like forced perspectives that you cannot get away with in real life. You are already in a fantasy world, so you're already giving more of yourself over to accepting it. Mm -hmm. And no film now, color, 4K, 8K, wherever we go, will be able to achieve the same things that black and white and silent film could. Okay, so I have a question for you. Yeah. They are remaking Cabinet of Dr. Okay. Not that they are, but this is the scenario I'm, I'm proposing. Sure. 
Who would Kieran you? Kieran Culkin. <laughs> okay. Culkin. Yeah. I got I got it. Honestly, and this is- this <laughs> That's is, actually a really great pick. This is a dumb tweet of mine from like two years ago. Any Culkin, I don't care which. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter to me. You want Rory Culkin? I'm there. Yeah, I know the Culkins. <laughs> you do know the Culkins. And then, um, ooh, uh, so- in, I didn't finish my question. Who sure. would you cast? Yeah. <laughs> As everybody else, yeah. yeah. So uh, as as Dr. Calgary, um, Brendan Gleeson from In Bruges. Oh. And twenty eight days later, he would be my Dr. Calgari. Francis, the crazy person. If we can clean him up a little bit for the front half, and honestly, maybe maybe our remake. Are we doing straight shot for shot remake, or do we maybe play around with the storyline a little bit? It's your remake. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave things open, and I'm gonna cast as Francis. A very clean cut initially, Caleb Landry Jones. <laughs> oh, you you're going dark with your. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I he think can go Caleb dark. Landry Jones and a Culkin would make a great cabinet. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> what if at the end we there is no separation between our two characters? Ooh. That's what I'm saying. We 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 leave our options open <laughs> by doing that casting. Who do we cast as Jane? Oh. Unfortunately, Jane doesn't have much to do in this movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. Jane Levy, because I like her. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly don't know who we would cast. You know? Oh, you know what? I know. Rooney Mara. Ooh. There's my casting. That's Ro- great. Rooney Mara, Caleb Landry Jones, and uh, Rory Culkin. <laughs> and Brendan Gleeson. I think you said Kieran Culkin. Yeah, one of them. <laughs> Who's available? Okay. Uh, my casting. It'll be like a dog. Like, we've got four dogs to play one dog in a movie. <laughs> we got four Culkins. One of them's a mystery. That's even better because if it's all, like, in a crazy person's mind and the, oh, and the, yes. the character changes just a little bit. Yeah, I'm into it. That's pretty good. That's like the Imaginarium of Dr. I, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. Uh, Parnassus? Parnassus. Yeah. Another Terry Gilliam. Uh, another Tom Waits. Is Tom Waits in that? Yeah, he's... He's one of them. The Renfield character. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so my casting as Dr. Calgary, mm-hmm. Kelsey Grammer. Oh, shit. Yeah, as Cesar. Now, if this was made in like 90s, uh-huh. I would say Josh Hartnett for Cesar. I think, oh, wow. That's uh, okay. Because um, he's got this like sad lover boy look about him. Sure. Uh, today, I, yeah, like a lucky number seven, Josh Hartnett. Is that what we're talking about here? <laughs> or like um, faculty, Josh Hartnett. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but with his hair brushed down. Yeah. Um, you can tell what side of the pillow he sleeps on in that movie. <laughs> today, uh, Robert Pattinson, probably. Probably. Um, and no one would be upset. And then, what's that guy's name? Caleb Blanchard Jones? No, the protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> Francis. Francis. Francis, I would cast... You're, I don't know if you're going to agree with this one. Jason Siegel? Ooh, no, I like it. No, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. My Caleb Landry Jones is a bad pick because from frame one, you go, that guy's crazy. Like, there's, there's, <laughs> there's no point in that movie where you think this guy is a reliable narrator. Jason Siegel? Great choice. I think he's due for, like, a serious role. Yeah. And also, I believe when he talks to me. So I wouldn't... Mm. He also looks you in the eye. Like, he looks like the kind of guy who would look you in the eye. And also, he looks a lot like the actor that plays the original. I think you're right. Yeah. 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 Oh, what if we can use that same de-aging, like, technology from the Irishman on Willem Dafoe? And what if we got him to play every role? Like, (laughs) Like the doctor. Including Jane. Jane. Uh, but yeah, so if we had Jason oh, Siegel as Francis, I would cast that actress from Freaks and Geeks as Jane. 
Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, if you're going to do that, I think you should really go like the full, full stretch. Full freaks and geeks. <laughs> yes. That's right. So like Seth Rogen, Caligari. <laughs> James Franco. James Franco is the is the, the friend that got killed. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yo, that's true. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. That was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Like my Caleb Landry Jones is a bad pick, but but whatever. It's, I would agree with it for any anything you want. You're like, we're gonna put Caleb Landry Jones in this. I'm like, good idea. Yeah. No, that's that's my problem. It's like any. It, this has happened a few times where people are like, "What's your dream cast for this movie?" I'm like, "Well, we start with Caleb Landry Jones, <laughs> and then we follow through with Jane Levy." <laughs> He's just so fucking good and everything. He is good. So I assume you're ready for ratings. And four you, out of four. Yeah, four out of four. Fuck, this movie's good. They this movie's paint so good. the light on they the ground. the light. With the lantern. I, we didn't even talk about the desks in the, the permit office for opening your fair installment. Yeah. The guys in the desks are, like, the desks are like elephant desks. The front legs are taller than the back legs. Every single frame of this movie is fucking incredible. There is there is no moment that isn't just like you just want to take it in. I don't even know. Like I just I want to eat this movie. Like yeah. I just I just want this movie I to know, be a like, part of could, me. If you could like cut open your eyes so that your eyes became mouths. Oh sure. You could just like hump 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 <laughs> with your eyes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Did you give it a rating? I gave yeah I gave it a four out of four. Okay. You were too busy re- like replaying the movie in your mind. <laughs> Sorry, Black Tim. <laughs> it was right, right about where I turned my eyes into mouths. <laughs> Damn, this movie's good. Oh, boy. Well, let us know what you thought of Nosferatu and the Cabinet of Dr. Calgary. We're about to go watch it again, obviously. Oh, definitely, yeah. Because we're both, like, like, off in La La Land. It's like 74 minutes. You can watch this movie twice. Oh, so good. So fucking good. Happy New Year. Oh, yeah. We are in 2020. That is crazy. Yeah, I hope you have your your jazzy outfit on. We should like find a horror speakeasy or something. It's not a bad idea. Or there start is... a speakeasy and make it horror. This is why the 20s were roaring and I'm glad they're back. <laughs> really? I'm excited. It's going to be a fun decade because after that, dirty 30s, guys. Let's, let's. Crash yeah. that stock market. Let's enjoy the ride while it's here. I hope this century has less world wars. But back on horror, uh, (laughs) tweeted us what you thought of this week's movies. You can follow us on social media and chat with us on social media. We are at NOFS Podcast on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. Of course, it is black and white month here at Nightmare on Film Street. We are celebrating the Silver Scream era uh, of black and white film, silent film, Uh, which I hope you're into because we got two more episodes, two great episodes planned that we can't wait to get to. But in the meantime, there is a whole host of content to get your black and white horror fill in over at nofspodcast.com. And if you want to support Nightmare on Film Street, you can do so for as little as a $1 donation per episode, and you'll get a ton of other bonus stuff, bonus episodes, shoutouts on the show, merchandise, all that fun stuff. We're going to have a drive-home from the drive-in review of The Grudge soon. You can check out that at patreon.com slash nightmareonfilmstreet. But until next time, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. 
Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends. American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20.